Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, rock school, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Look, and I'll you even got the date, Jane Asher, if it is. Yeah, and I'll yeah, <laughs> I'll even take it one step further. Not only is it the same person, but the Beatles did not plant those clues. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns, and again, welcome to the month of July. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know during the month of July, we go out of our way to find interesting people to interview, talk to, and generally pick their brain. This is part two of my discussion with Bruce Spicer, a New Orleans native and maybe the foremost authority of the Beatles here in the United States. If you'd like to learn more about Bruce Spicer, well, first listen to last week's show. You can find it by going to iTunes and searching Rock School Radio Show or Rock School KSLU. Either one will bring it up. Or you can go to the website, which is southeastern.edu slash rockschool. Once again, southeastern.edu slash rockschool. All lowercase. I don't know why that screws it up, but all lowercase. Bruce Spicer, once again, has written multiple books on the Beatles, and you can find his website at Beatle.net. That's singular, Beatle.net. And, of course, if you went and looked at uh, his name, S-P-I-Z-E-R, on Amazon, all of his books would come up. Now, last week, we talked about the Beatles invading America and the rise of Beatlemania. We will start this week with the remainder of our conversation, General Beatles stuff, and you'll find his opinions pretty interesting. So, without further ado, and I am certainly a doing here, this is Bruce Spicer on the Rock School Radio Show. Now, yeah. let me let me ask you. It's it's obviously started. Yes. Here. Now the question <laughs> is just how do we market it and such? And was the British invasion? I've always wondered about this. Is it a mirror? Is it a mirror on a mirror? Was the British invasion? Because of the Beatles, or was this already in play and the Beatles just happened to be the first ones? Uh, it was because of the Beatles. Because really. of the Beatles. Yeah, because out. look, here's what happens. Okay. Um, Capital did turn down the Beatles, but not just the Beatles. Dave Dextra also turned down the Hollies, and he turned <sighs> down Herman's Hermits. How, how soon was that, this guy fired? Yeah, well, that's another story. He really was. We'll talk about <laughs> Dex in a minute. So th- the great thing about it is he basically turns to all these groups, but Dexter did put out one record in... October of 63. Mm-hmm. And that was I'm Telling You Now by Freddie and the Dreamers. Okay. And it completely bombs. No, that's a hit. Everybody no, no, knows uh, that. It's a hit in 1965. Okay. When Capital re-releases it on their Tower subsidiary, at a time anything British will be a hit. Oh, okay. So I think this is what I'm saying is this, that I'm Telling You Now bombed at that time. It took the Beatles to break down that door. Yeah. Because the perception was, you know, nothing comes out of England. They they buy our records. We don't buy theirs. 
Hmm. And so I don't, without the Beatles, I think we'd still be listening to Frankie Avalon. I don't dislike Frankie Avalon, but boy, I'm glad the Beatles came Yeah, me in. too. Yeah. Let me just ask you this, and this is ethereal. No one can really answer this. I can answer it. I'm sure you can. I'm going to give you a <laughs> shot at it. This is a brilliant story. It really is. Rock, music has all of these stories. This is a brilliant, I mean, global story. Oh, yeah. Can this ever happen again? No. Why not? A couple of reasons. First of all, you need extremely talented people. <laughs> you do. Justin okay. Bieber's not going to cut it. Thanks, folks. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> so that's requirement number one. Not only were they gifted singers and songwriters, um, but they had great personalities that were just generated excitement in and of themselves. And what they were doing was fresh, different, and creative. Radio in those days was dominated by Top 40. Mm-hmm. Top 40 radio played you know, the 40 biggest hits over and over again. And you could listen to in the same 20 minutes, you might hear Fats Domino, R&B, Frank Sinatra. Uh, you know, then you might hear a soul song. Then you might hear a little bit of Chuck Berry. It was a little bit of everything. Radio now is not that way because you have all these different stations. You have satellite radio. You have, you know, specialties. Okay, this is a soul station. This is rhythm and blues. This is old soul. This is an oldies from the 50s. This is an oldies from the 60s. This is 70s music. You don't have a situation where almost everyone is listening to the same radio stations. Right. That's why it can never happen again. You would never have something that could cut across all those different types of stations. Back then, you know, I lived in New Orleans. We had WTIX and WNOE. We did have WBOK and WYLD playing, you know, the rhythm and blues, black radio. But almost everybody, including black people, they listen to WNOE or WTIX. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that anymore. And I think that's why it will never happen again, not only the talent, but because it just will never have that kind of listenership One, that you two, had three, in the five. 60s. And, and and this is also an ethereal thing. Do you think people looked at the Beatles as they started to evolve? Because if you listen to the first Beatles album and then you listen to Sgt. Pepper's, mm. these are, I mean, polar opposites. Yes. Is Do you think people, and, and, and this is something you, you have today where people say, I want new music from my bands. Okay, how about this? It doesn't sound like the old stuff. No. Okay, look, let's let's look at the way things were back in the day. Um, you would put out a song, and if it became a hit, the record company would say, we want another one like that because it's right. a proven formula. Motown was a prime example. You know, Motown, you'd have Marfa and the Vandellas. Uh, you know, they would come out with Heat Wave, and they'd come out with Dancing in the Street, and then come out with Live Wire. Well, Live Wire only met Top 40, so now we need to do something slightly different. The thing about the Beatles, if you listen to every one of their singles in chronological order, okay, the first few have harmonica, but they're still different. Mm-hmm. And then they give up on the harmonica on the singles. And it just keeps evolving and evolving and evolving. 
And that's the great thing about the Beatles. They were never told by George Martin, give us another She Loves You. You know, give us another Yesterday. Give us another this. Right. They would come in with new songs, and they would hear things. They would want to do something different. He was the perfect producer for them. One of the greatest, and look, failure can be a great thing. The Beatles on December or January 1, 1962, auditioned for Decca Records, right. and they flunked the audition. And that is the world's greatest failure in the history of music. Is that where because it was said that guitar bands are on the way out? One of the deck executives said that, yeah. Dick Rowe. Mike Smith produced that session. Mike Smith wasn't a hack, but he was no George Martin. If Mike Smith had signed the Beatles, we still may be listening to Frankie Avalon because we needed yeah. somebody like George Martin to really capture and get that thing going. And so the fact that they failed the deck audition was a wonderful thing because yeah. they got George Martin. Is is he the fifth Beatle? That's a great argument at a party. You know, is people people Beatle? will tell me they believe Brian Epstein is. A friend of mine wrote a book calling Brian the fifth Beatle. To me, George Martin, because George yeah. Martin was in the studio with them. Right. He played on some of their records. Some of that mean piano you hear in the background, that's George Martin playing some rock and roll piano. Is it Because really? they weren't doing as many overdubs in those days. Right. And so for that reason... You know, we'll be sitting there, you know, live in the studio with the Beatles, two guitars, bass, drums, George Martin on piano doing a rock and roll song. The Beatles broke up, it depends on where you consider they broke up. So let's just say 1970, Mm -hmm. okay? Were they, I get it, 63 to 1970. We're talking less than a decade for everything the Beatles did. No deal, no doubt. It's absurd. Were they, and I love this question because, you know, what would Nirvana have been if he had (laughs) stayed? There's no guarantee that it would have been anything. No. Were they, I'm not going to word this right, I'm going to offend a Beatles fan. Were they done... Should that have happened? I think that judged on some of the great solo music they did, they could have been together for many more years and put out some great music as a group. Fortunately, they put out that really good music individually. What we Mm -hmm. lost, though, was John and Paul working together. Right. And I think that was a big loss. Um, You know, John... On certain songs that Paul did that might have been a little, not having enough of an edge, John might have helped to get a little bit more of an edge. Mm-hmm. Look, by the time they broke up, John and Paul really weren't writing together that much anyway. So maybe it would have been a case of they come in and just record each other's music. Um, but certainly, you know, John said it best, you know, if you've got to have the Beatles music still, you know, take Ringo's album and take a song or two off it, take a song or two off of mine, <laughs> off of Paul's and George. If you put it together, it's a pretty good album. There you have it.
It's time to take our first break. We'll get back to speaking with Bruce Spizer, one of the best Beatle people you'll ever hear. And he's right here on our show. Back in a minute here on Rock School. I got another one I want to fall on top of that mm-hmm. with. But since you mentioned the individuals, who's your favorite solo Beatle? Boy, that's, you know, at different times, different ones. If push comes to shove today, I would say George. George Harrison. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, he really evolved later on as a really top notch songwriter. Right. I liked his guitar playing, and uh, there's just things about George that appealed to me. Uh, but look, who do I think was an overall most talented musician? Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that John was a, a brilliant songwriter, but so was Paul. And it's an oversimplification to say that John was a lyric man. Eleanor Rigby, beautiful lyrics written by right. Paul. And, and to say that Paul had the gift of melody and John didn't is absurd because mm-hmm. you listen to songs like In My Life, Beautiful Melody, and you know, things of that nature. So right. they were all incredibly talented. Um, you know, you take a song like A Day in the Life, John had a section of it, Paul had a section of it, you merge it together, it's an incredible song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so one of the things about only being together for that period of time, but keep in mind, you know, over 225 songs in that short time span. Right. They were doing at one point kind of like two albums a year and four singles a year. Mm-hmm. You know, some groups take two to three years to put out an album or decades. Or decades. Yes. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so it was an incredible amount of music in a short period of time. Uh, you know, once they broke up, maybe it was just as well they didn't get back together because I don't know if it would have been the same. But even when things were a little contentious, like during the White Album sessions or the Get Back sessions, when that red light was on and they were recording, that magic was there. Yeah, that's... I, I have to agree with you there. Here's another fun party uh, question I like to give people. Name for me a solo Beatles single that's better than a Beatles single. Well, it depends on which single you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I mean the singles that I that really hit me, you know, obviously I thought uh, My Sweet Lord when I first heard it was an absolutely great song. Right. Um, Did you, you know, think it was stolen? 
from no, you so far. No, look, if you sit down and analyze the chords and the notes, the similarity is there. Mm-hmm. But when you hear the song, it sounds very different. Yeah. You know, when I heard, you know, and I was very familiar with He's So Fine by the Chiffons, but, you know, I wasn't hearing it in my head when it was pointed out. Yeah, I guess rather than going Hare Krishna, I could go do Lang, do Lang. But, yeah. you know, but as George said, and if you listen to, and it made no sense to me when I first read it, George says, look, I didn't cop He's So Fine by the Chiffons. If I was influenced by anything, it was Oh Happy Day. Oh, now, happy you might say... I'm putting it in my head. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now it doesn't work with that single. Okay. But have you heard the first recording of My Sweet Lord? Not by George Harrison, but by Billy Preston, produced no. by George. That sounds like Happy Oh Happy Day. Okay, now I got something to do this evening. Right, go ahead, yeah. and I'm sure you can find it on iTunes or whatever. My Sweet Lord by Billy Preston. Yeah. Do you consider, and the one I always, that, that party question I gave to you, the songs, I always go to imagine. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you yeah. see a Beatles tribute band, even though we're just a Beatles tribute band, You're gonna play when imagine. they come out dressed up like in their Abbey Road clothes, what do they always play? Imagine. Right. So for a song that's not a Beatles song, it's considered by many, and actually in a foreign market, it might have been the Philippines, but actually on the label it had Imagine the Beatles. Oh, so I actually mm. seen that on a record label before. Yeah, I I play in a a a, a cover band, and mm. we play a bunch of Beatles songs, and it it still stuns me. And I've said this to the other members, it stuns me that you can play a song like "She Loves You," which come on, it's just a pop tune. Yeah, that's it. It's you know, don't but get it's me an wrong, exciting it's well done, pop tune. But it's a pop tune, and then you can play just about through heavy metal because we mm-hmm. would play "She Loves You" and then play "Helter Skelter." Oh yeah, and. And you you say to yourself, I know, I know there are rock bands, there are pop bands, there are the, these people umbrellaed yep. the whole thing. They did, and the thing about it was, um, it was picked up by William Mann of the London Times or the Times, as they like to call themselves. Yeah. When he reviewed Sgt. Pepper, he talked about the fact that each song, pretty much, was a different genre. You know, you had vaudeville, and you had this, you had that yeah. rock, you know. And the, and the thing about it was that the White Album is like that on steroids because you have just so many different styles yeah. of music, which to me is what makes it so great. Some people say, well, why are the Beatles doing folk or you know or or cowboy music, you know, like Rocky, Rocky Raccoon, Raccoon. Mm-hmm. or why are they doing Beach Boy harmonies on Back in the USSR, yeah. or finger picking guitar style on Dear Prudence, you know. Or Sound Collage, Revolution 9, or a lullaby, Good Night. Yeah. But, but that, to me, is what makes it great. The Beatles were good at all these different genres of music. Most people can barely be good at one genre of music, much less all of these different forms of pop music. I can tell you, of all the Beatles songs I played, and I've played a lot of mm-hmm. them, of all the Beatles songs I played, Dear Prudence is far and away the most difficult to play and perform. That that finger First picking, dear yeah. prudence, yeah. you got a hit out of nowhere. Yeah, that's and then you a gotta, difficult and, and, you know, song. To sing while doing that finger picking style takes a little bit of work too. Right, that was really difficult. They actually learned that style in India. Donovan, in Gypsy Dave, a friend of Donovan's, played in that style, and uh, Donovan taught it to John, and he taught it to Paul. <laughs> and you can hear it on the White Album. Yeah.
Anybody who knows me here in the greater downtown Hammond And I've known area, you for 42 minutes. See, there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I did a thing that's become a television show, and it's gotten moved around into, about, is Paul dead? I did no. an hour on it, and I showed <laughs> all of the clues and all that kind of stuff. You've already answered me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Bruce, is Paul dead? No. Oh, come on. Look, this is what I tell people. <laughs> the same person who wrote and sang and played on All My Loving is the same person who wrote, sang, and played on Hey Jude. It's really that simple. It's not Philip Campbell? Nah. Oh, come on. Look, Look and I'll you even... got to g- date Jane Asher if it is. Yeah, and I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll even take it one step further. Not only is it the same person, but the Beatles did not plant those clues. Oh, I don't. I'm not. No, I can't say anything because I don't want people to think I either believe or disbelieve because it makes for better makes for better. Discussion. I understand. And it's a fun discussion and I'll yeah. give it and I'll have people that debate it with me and, and we have fun with it. Time for the second break on Rock School. We need to allow our affiliates to do a little bit of business with their listeners, but we'll be back with Bruce Spicer in just a moment here on Rock School. in-depth with your knowledge and your website once again beetle not beetles beetle.net yep is is a treasure trove of pictures and i love the shot of you with the beetles uh wig on <laughs> where were you in that picture? Uh, that i think that one was taken um i think i was giving a tattoo of them on the website if i'm standing up and giving a lecture that was at the britannia theater in new orleans mm-hmm. and there also is one in front of me of what used to be the washington coliseum in one of my books wearing a beetles wig um, oh, this just popped back in my mind. Yeah, you were eight years old when when the Beatles hit the United yes. States, yeah. right? Yeah. How many years after that were they in New Orleans, and did you go? All right, they were in New Orleans shortly thereafter, in uh, September sixteenth, nineteen sixty four. Right. And my sister, I had two sisters, and my youngest sister, who was both older than me, she turned sixteen that day. Oh. And it was her birthday, and she did not want to go to the see the Beatles because she was into Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and um, 
You know, my analyst says I may speak to her again one day. We Reg- never know. No, I'm Reg- kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so I didn't get to see them when they were in New Orleans. No, I did not. Oh, that's too I've bad. I've had friends that did, and they always kid me about it. Last question. Again, you're, you're a, a trove. You are sort of the bottomless Beatles pit. As a matter of fact, you did, was it only you that did all of the questions for the Beatles Trivial Pursuit Edition? Yeah, I, I did those. And the hardest part about doing questions for something like that is coming up with easy ones. Uh, you know, it's easy to come up with the hard ones. It's hard to come yeah. up with the easy ones. Once you get past, name the Beatles, where are they from? You know, okay. Now what? John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Yeah, and it's yeah. a thing. So, so yeah, the questions were, were difficult. And I kind of, you know, if I'd, I was given certain topics to stick to, if I could have gone to other topics, you know, maybe I could have done harder ones. But basically my instructions were, you know, we don't want them overly easy. And, okay, so fine. I came up with some hard ones. And honestly, some of them are so hard I couldn't answer them today. <laughs> if somebody looks at you and says, oh, you're Bruce. Tell me a piece of Beatles trivia. What's your go-to piece of trivia? What's the one piece of trivia? What's the one thing you love to tell? Well, just little facts. I mean, one that I, always, I thought was pretty cool. The Beatles flew over to America on a Boeing 707 Pan Am Flight 101. Pan Am named their airplanes. What was the name of the airplane the Beatles came in on? Uh, wing and a Prayer. Clipper Defiance. Okay. <laughs> and I love that because the Beatles were defying the odds. Yes, no British were. group had ever made it. And they came in with this attitude of defiance up to the New York press. The New York press wanted to make mincemeat out of the Beatles, and the Beatles had a meeting out of their hands. Couldn't I mean, it was it. just things. So I, I always like that. And if you look at pictures, I, I don't think there's a single picture where you can see the full clipper defiance. But if you put different pictures together, it clearly spells defiance. Well, how about that? That you guys are like uh, what did he say? You, uh, what did the guy say in the in the press conference? You guys are like uh, Elvis Presley, and Ringo begins to dance. It's not, That's not true. true. It's not true. It's not true. The the other thing too, <laughs> and, and there is a sad New Orleans collection to Clipper Defiance, and oh, that dear. is Pan Am renamed their planes. Mm-hmm. And Clipper Defiance originally was a Boeing prop plane, and then it was used for the 707, and then it was named for a 727, and that's the 727 that yeah. crashed in New Orleans was Clipper Defiance. It, okay, no, 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 no. You don't get to renamed. drop that and walk away. Back up. Okay. The airplane mm-hmm. that carried the Beatles was the re- name redesigned? The, no. The name was reused. Oh, the name was reused. It was reused from a Boeing 707, and they reused it on a Boeing 727. Yeah. And the plane that crashed in New Orleans was called Clipper Defiance. There's your piece of trivia. That's a piece of trivia. Wow. Yeah. Bruce Spicer, uh, we've been sitting here close to an hour, and I can't tell you how happy I am. Well, we'll have to do another close to an hour sometime. Oh, I'd be more than pleased. All you have to do is call and scream and yell, and you're here. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever it takes. <laughs> Once again, uh, Bruce Spicer, he's uh, he's going to be talking. Uh, this will air long after it happened, but he'll be here in town talking about um, the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band LP. 
If you want to talk to him, Beatle.net. And I don't know what else to say. Thank you for coming. Well, I'm glad to be here. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song.